All right, we're live. So uh, everybody, uh, welcome to our fourth live author reading of the day. I'm going to step away from a bit and let Jonathan introduce himself, tell you a little bit about his upcoming novel, The Raven, which is being published by Flame Tree Press, and it comes out later this year, and have him read an excerpt. So without further ado, Mr. Jonathan Jans. All right. Am I coming through okay? There's a little like hesitation on there. Am I good? No, you're All good. Right. All right. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, I want to especially thank David Walters for giving me the opportunity to share this with you. Uh, I think it's a fantastic thing and a nice way for all of us here who have been isolated to kind of break the monotony and, uh, and to connect a little bit, at least in this way. So as, uh, as David said, my name is Jonathan Jans. And um, I also wanted to kind of mention the tattoos on my arms. Um, these are not real. These are Sharpie. Last night, my uh, middle child, my daughter, Jewel, and I, we were watching uh, 1408 with John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson. And she just decided she was going to start doing art on my arms, on my ankles. And I mean, she was into the movie, but whenever, yeah, whenever there would be like a little bit of a lull, she would start drawing. So that's why we've got this. Anyway. All right, so let me, let me tell you what we're gonna be doing here. Um, I wanted to read for you today a part of the book that I hadn't read anywhere else yet. I didn't want to just do the same chapter over and over and over because I wanted it to be fresh for you. Uh, and then, so what I'm doing here is I'm dropping you into the middle of the book. This is kind of right in the middle of the Raven. So here's the scenario, and then we'll get going on the reading. So the situation is a group of extremists, uh, geneticists, physicists, um, all kinds of um, professionals in their field, they have decided that mankind is heading for nuclear annihilation and they want to prevent that. Um, they want to prevent the world from being incinerated, basically. So they feel like the best way to prevent that is to expunge the world of human beings. Um, the geneticists have learned that the reason why there is, um, you find this commonality with myths. In every culture, there's a vampire myth. In every culture, there's a shapeshifter or, or, or cannibal myth. The reason why they've found is because what was once thought to be junk DNA is actually uh, a set of monstrous strands that only need to be awakened by the right substance. So the missiles have flown. This is two years after this apocalyptic event. The missiles flew and then those humans with these monstrous strains, they um, turned and began killing everyone. And here we are two years after that apocalyptic, apocalyptic event. The world is overrun with monsters, and there are only a few regular people left. Um, one of my main characters is one of these regular people. So his name is Dez. Uh, Dez has um, had his true love, Susan. She's been kidnapped by this flesh dealer named Keaton. And Keaton has set up this, he's converted a, a rural Baptist church into this bar. Kind of reminds me of the most Eisley Cantina in Star Wars, uh, like, a, like a hive of a wretched hive of scum and villainy or whatever the quote is from Obi-Wan. And so um, this church is now a bar where all kinds of murder and terrible things take place. Des, my main character, goes to Keaton's house trying to find clues as to Susan's whereabouts, um, but he's caught, and now he's brought back to the Four Winds Bar. He has been chained up um, 15 feet off the ground. 
um, as has this other guy who has wronged Keaton. And the other guy is a guy named Tom Chaney, and he's a werewolf, but he's currently in his human form. So this picture, Chaney and Dez, the main character, um, chained uh, in front of this assembly of rough people or monsters. And um, before their execution, this uh, Keaton, the main villain, wants there to be a sermon. And this is a rather diabolical sermon that'll be performed at his behest. So I think that's where we're going to get going here. And uh, yeah, I think we're ready. Here we go. Awesome. <clears throat> Dez finally reached a level, more or less even with Tom Chaney, and the cranking ceased. The chains around his ankles weren't taut to the floor, but they didn't allow much movement. Dez labored to draw breath, couldn't, and had to perform a slight pull-up against the handcuffs to suck in enough air to prevent a panic attack. Below Dez, maybe 15 feet away, Keaton rose, raised his hands for silence. All heads in the four winds turned toward its proprietor. Glad you could come out tonight, Keaton said. It's going to be a good show. Shouts of approval. Folks, you might notice we've got two criminals up here. The Hound's a bonus. Uh, Tom Chaney's nickname is The Hound. And the name of the bar is The Four Winds. And the apocalyptic event was called The Four Winds. Anyway. The Hound's a bonus. I hadn't planned on ending his miserable existence yet, but hell, I like to be spontaneous. He took something from me I can never get back, so tonight we'll take something from him. He glanced up at Chaney. After we have some fun, Chaney wept. You know, I'm not much of a speech giver, Keaton said. And Dez thought, oh, crap, you eat this up. I'll be censoring myself a little bit. I'm a teacher and my students sometimes listen, so I'll be censoring myself. So I'm going to turn it over to Reverend Weeks. Keaton jolted as if he'd forgotten something. But before I do, one more word about the condemned. Here we go, Dez thought. The hound here. Keaton said, indicating Cheney with a lazy thumb. He's been chained in the dungeon for what, 14 months? 14 months, Des thought. My goodness. And in 14 months, the dumb hick has never apologized for what he did, for the pain he caused. And Des thought of the ravaged bedroom, the Little League trophies, the unmistakable signs of a young boy. Had Cheney murdered Keaton's son? It seemed the only possibility that made sense. If that were the case, Des reflected, it was a wonder Keaton had permitted Cheney to live this long. Keaton peered up at Cheney, perhaps giving him the opportunity to atone. When Cheney only continued to weep quietly, Keaton nodded. Well, well I'll be square in a couple hours. A couple hours? Dez thought, heart racing. Whatever they had in store was going to take a couple hours? At thought of a protracted torture session, Dez's gorge rose. He didn't want to vomit in front of these ghouls, but he didn't know how long he'd be able to control it. As for this other one, Keaton said, leveling a forefinger at Dez, he's going to be a reminder to all of you who might have harbored foolish thoughts at one time or another. 
He didn't like my business practices and had the audacity to break into my home and threaten my wife and daughter. Ear-punishing bellows erupted at this, many in the crowd going as far as to hurl objects at Dez. He was pelted with ashtrays, one of which cracked him in the hip bone and shot freshets of pain down his leg. Now don't trash my establishment, Keaton yelled, his voice cleaving through the din. You can scream, all, scream at him all you want, but I won't have my floors reduced to waste bins. Jason, the crowd quieted a little. Anyhow, Keaton continued, this chicken crap went after the ones I love, ones who were innocent, defenseless. I didn't touch them, Des said. Which is the reason I let you live this long, Keaton answered. Had you laid a finger on my daughter's sweet head, I'd have drawn and quartered you already. People only matter if they're yours, Keaton or Des heard himself saying. That about right? Keaton chuckled softly. <laughs> I really am going to enjoy this. Keaton turned, raised his arms. Folks, I give you Reverend Bryce Weeks. The crowd cheered. Des struggled to turn and watch the reverend's entrance, but found it tough going. Every time he'd maneuver his body sideways, the chains attached to his legs would haul him back around to face the crowd. As it was, he caught glimpses of a short, bespectacled man, bald on top, with light brown hair remaining on the sides. He was garbed in black, with a traditional white collar, and clutched a book at one side. Weeks appeared to be in his early 40s. Smiling beatifically, Weeks spread his arms and addressed the crowd. Good evening, friends. Let us begin with a word of prayer. To Dez's surprise, the entire assembly of vicious-looking patrons bowed its heads. Fellow survivors, Weeks began in a resonant voice. We have come this far for a reason. Many of us entered the new order through tragedy and suffering, and we have all endured many a hardship. Loud mutterings of agreement. Many of the patrons nodding their bowed heads. That was the chair, by the way. Sorry about that weird noise. <laughs> but we have survived, Weeks said. That is the point. We have persevered. We have harnessed what gifts nature has bequeathed us. We have adapted. Des scanned the patrons, noticed only one individual wasn't immersed in the prayer. The fever. The tall man leaned by the entrance door, his eyes on Pastor Weeks. Des tried but could not identify the emotion on the fever's narrow face. Interest? Contempt? Resignation? Did it matter? The shoulder blades ached. We have adapted, dear friends. That is the salient point, Weeks said, his voice full of warmth. The wisdom of the cosmos is unknowable to us, yet when one stands in the deep pellucid night and gazes at the heavens, one understands that there is indeed order. There is unmistakably a plan. Des couldn't deny his curiosity. He wriggled against the chains to better see weeks. Does anyone doubt where this world was heading? The shaking of heads. 
Does anyone here believe we would have lasted another year, much less another decade, with the demagogues leading the world? No, sir, someone muttered amidst the voices. Nuclear annihilation, Weeks said, enunciating each syllable clearly, if incorrectly. He pronounced it nuclear. My dearest survivors, the apocalypse was at hand. Louder mutterings at this, patrons exchanging approving glances. And though the shift of the Earth's population was no doubt painful to many here tonight, can there be any doubt the new world appears more sustainable than the old? Solemn agreement. More than ever, Des felt he'd gone mad. Which is why, Deke or Weeks said, stepping around the pulpit to a position near Cheney, we need men like Bill Keaton to maintain order. Shouts of amen. What we have is worth protecting, dear friends. Never again will the beauty of this world be blighted by the unworthiness of man. Never again will the forests fall and the oceans darken with man's contamination. More amen. Several pat patrons, as noted dumbfounded hilarity, had tears shining on their cheeks. Weeks moved closer to the assembly, stood before Bill Keaton. Weeks folded his hands before him, bowed his head. Mr. Keaton named this establishment the Four Winds Bar. He did so because, in his wisdom, he understood the new opportunities this great change represented. Keaton nodded and Badler, who sat behind Keaton, leaned forward and gave his boss's shoulder an affectionate squeeze. Weeks's voice crescendoed, the tone still high, but the sound resonant in the large room. The four winds liberated us! The four winds showed us what we could become! Loud cheers. Though we did not see it at the moment, Weeks declaimed, the four winds tore the scales from our eyes and leached the eons of iniquity from our genetic codes. Louder cheers, many patrons toasting with their signs. The four winds allowed us to become the legendary figures we were meant to be. The shouts were well nigh rapturous now. And if we look around, dear friends, we see joy and fellowship. We see a healthy respect and a proper fear. We see the front doors open and every head in the room turned. In stalked a pair of figures in black clothes. Not only had Weeks stopped talking, but the rest of the patrons had fallen deathly silent as well. The figures, a man and a woman, both with long raven-colored hair and sinuous bodies, moved to the edge of the room passing tables slowly, their eyes studying the patrons they passed. Des noted with apprehension how the patrons averted their eyes as the figures grew closer, as though, Medusa-like, the newcomers would turn them to stone. The figures were very pale, but then again, paleness was common these days. The figures passed under the left balcony and selected a table with empty chairs. There were three other men at the table, but they'd scooted their chairs to the table's floor in order to improve their view of the ceremony. Go on, Reverend, Keaton said quietly. Weeks gazed upon the newcomers a moment longer, then shook himself loose of his trance and cleared his throat. <clears> throat> uh, yes, friends, it is a better world in which we now find ourselves, although some, a glance at Cheney, 
still insist on staying in the pristineness of the new order. Des peered at Cheney and noticed he'd ceased weeping. Contrary to the rest of the patrons, Cheney was staring at the newcomers with interest. So too, Des realized, was Lefebvre, whom the newcomers must have passed on the way in. Weeks stabbed sweat from his brow with a white handkerchief. The new world, if it is to make good on the promise afforded it by the architects of the Four Winds cleansing event. Des felt the first spark of anger since he'd been strung up. Cleansing event? The phrase turned his stomach. Must have order, it must, Weeks mopped his brow. Appoint sentinels to, to protect its sanctity. Movement from the new newcomer's table drew Des's attention. He turned that way in time to see one of the black-garbed figures, the female, batten onto the neck of one of the men. The pale woman's face was bestial, her teeth elongated and tapered, and when they sank into the side of the man's neck, they set to shredding the flesh and unleashing torrents of scarlet. The man, whose dark brown cowboy hat had tumbled off his head, screamed and sank down in his chair as if to escape the bite of the vampire, but this only sent his attacker into wilder paroxysms of ferocity. Several men in the immediate area had stumbled to their feet to escape the bloodletting, and one of the trio who hadn't been bitten took a step toward the victim as though to intervene. But Bernadette was there, a revolver extended as the, at the would-be savior. Stay back, Bernadette said, her voice unsteady. Not with fear of the intervener, Dead decided, but in utter terror of the vampires. There was a horrible interval in which no one moved, the only sounds in the bar, the repugnant biting and sucking of the vampire. The victim had ceased struggling, his lifeblood either inside the vampire's gullet or spent on the grungy floorboards. Des realized the male vampire was transforming, his orange eyes glowing at the men in the immediate area. The feeding vampire stood up, wiped her mouth with a leather-clad forearm. The bottom half of her face was smeared with gore. The upper half flushed from the feeding, her face having transformed into vampiric form. She scarcely resembled a human being. That's probably a good place to stop. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. You. I, I will say uh, I wasn't expecting all of the authors that were reading today to really get that into their books. It's been kind of amazing. Uh, <laughs> you, you should definitely start doing some audio books. That was great. Man, well, you know, why do it half-heartedly? We've only got a little time together. Might, yeah. <laughs> might as well burn some calories, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and reading. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to The Raven. I know several are. I know you've already gotten some pretty great reviews uh, for it uh, from some, some of the people in the book community I'm pretty good friends with. So, uh, And and I, and I know you're a great writer because I've read some of your, your previous works, like Turn of the Dark, which – I've got a copy sitting up there. So, uh, <laughs> poster up here. There it is. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> thank you, man. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Just thank you again for coming on. And, uh, yeah, we'll try to do something. I know, uh, we have kind of a podcast chat set up to go in June. Uh, I know we don't have a date or time yet. This is all kind of throwing everything for a loop. So uh, we'll, we'll try to do something. If not, uh, you know, we'll definitely try to do something later in the year, maybe closer to when the Raven hits. And uh, we'll, we'll try to we'll try to do a little chat, kind of punt, you know, pimp your book a little bit. <laughs> yeah, either way, when you do it, I'm in, man. I'm absolutely in. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for coming in uh, and reading for us. And uh, we'll look forward to you doing it again, hopefully, uh, sometime soon.
Thank you, David. And thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jonathan.